Many families don't see the importance of attending Mass every Sunday. How do we pull them in? Make them feel welcome and keep them coming back. I'm your host, Edward Herrera, and we're talking about creative ways to get more minivans to Mass. I am here with Haley Stewart. Uh, very excited to be here with you today. And uh, Haley Stewart, if you don't know, is, well, she knows, but if, if you don't know, Haley Stewart is uh, a blogger, a podcaster now, Fountains, uh, uh, Fountains of Carrots, uh, Carrots for Michael Moss is the blog, mm-hmm. also an author. Um, and I just feel like when you hear the phrase liturgical living, uh, especially for folks that are millennials and uh, kind of thinking about liturgical living now, uh, her name has to kind of be in that conversation because uh, her work on Carrots for Michael Moss are just uh, just great. So well, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, very excited to talk with you about liturgical living. And I, I think some of our audience might not know when we say liturgical living exactly what we mean by that. Sure. And, and so I was hoping that you could maybe start out by sharing a little bit what that is. Absolutely. So um, when I think of liturgical living, I think of taking the seasons of the Christian year, you know, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, ordinary time, and orienting our daily life towards those seasons in that Christian year so that um, it's the calendar by which we're living our lives more than, say, the academic calendar or um, the Hallmark calendar, that uh-huh. it's the calendar we're living our lives by. And it doesn't have to be you've checked off a certain number of things. I think it's more of an attitude where this uh-huh. is how we're counting time by holy time, according to the Christian year. The yeah, church. yeah. No, I mean, and I think that's a... Um, that's an, uh, a neat kind of an, a neat way to look at it, an important way to look at it. It was funny. I was getting had the opportunity to hear you give a talk a little bit earlier today, and just really the idea of reorienting our lives uh, to that, and to kind of reorient our lives to to holiness. I thought was really uh, just just powerful stuff. And I I guess when we talk about liturgical living, since we're talking about okay, how do we welcome? families and how do we support families more fully at our parishes uh, when we talk about liturgical living why is it why, why is it important for families why, sure. why does that matter for families I think part of it is um, building up a distinctively Catholic culture that okay. we have things in common with our fellow Catholics whether it's Catholics at our parish or Catholics, 500 years ago across the world that we have this common shared Catholic culture, which doesn't mean that we all need to be eating the same thing on the same day or anything like that, but that there's something that we're all oriented towards that we're celebrating together or are um, walking through together. For instance, in the U.S., you don't have to give up meat on Fridays anymore, except during Lent. It's not an obligation. But I think it's cool to do that still because... You can choose something else, but if we're all giving up meat, it's something we're doing together. Yeah. And I think that that communal aspect is important and, yeah. and matters to people, as well as the idea that we are just naturally wired for traditions and different rhythms of the year, that God designed us to love and reach out for tradition because it tells us the story of who we are. And so if we're sharing that... Um, 
the way that we count time with other Catholics in a way that we're all celebrating and observing together. I think that can be really powerful about our identity as children of God and also our identity as Catholics. So it just builds mm. up this shared culture that is really meaningful. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's um, it's so important. And I mean, it just uh, it reminds me, and you talked about this a little bit, even kind of our Jewish roots, too, and that uh, just that idea of um, just coming together in those shared shared celebrations, shared feasts uh, together. So, uh, so important. And, and I guess what I would ask is, um, with with this, um, I, I know that there are, are certain ways with liturgical living that we could say, okay, well, so we celebrate Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we celebrate that feast and we celebrate Easter. Um, but could you tell me maybe like what would five, like what are your five favorite mm-hmm. uh, feasts of the year to celebrate and how do you celebrate them with your family? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll start with the one that my family started mm-hmm. with because we're converts. Okay. So we converted about 11 years ago. And um, as we were learning in RCAA, you know, about the liturgical year, we really were hooked by it. Okay. And um, we wanted to start bringing it into our home life as well as um, when we went to Mass. And so... The first, we started RCA in, say, September of, um, I guess this was 2008 or nine, and we, um, it was right towards the end of September, it was right before the Feast of the Archangels on September the 29th, and so that was the first feast we celebrated as, like, yeah. baby Catholics or <laughs> almost Catholics, <laughs> and so, and it was really, I had heard of St. Michael. Yeah. But I didn't really know anything about him. I didn't know, like, the prayer to St. Michael that now all my kids know, you know. So it was this time where it was like catechesis in a way, learning about the archangels, learning about St. Michael, and learning about the way that Christians have celebrated that particular feast throughout history. And so apparently... Having a goose is how you're supposed to you're supposed to roast a goose, or at least that in the British Isles, that's how they <laughs> that's did how it. You, you roasted your goose, and it's kind of harvest time, and um, we couldn't find any geese at the grocery store, so we <laughs> roasted a chicken. And then there is a a legend. There's like a little rhyme about how um, the day after Michaelmas, the devil fell from heaven into a pile of blackberries, and then he spit on them because he was so mad which is such a funny story about like the pettiness of <laughs> Satan. And so after Michaelmas, you're not supposed to eat blackberries because the devil spits in them. So everybody has blackberries to celebrate Michaelmas, the feast of St. Michael, Michael mass. And um, so we had like blackberry cobbler and we had friends over and they were like, Oh, what are you doing? We're, we're celebrating Michaelmas. We just learned about it, you know? <laughs> and so it was like a great memory. And now our kids are always like, Oh, is it almost, September 29th, are we going to have a chicken and roasted? And so I think it's just special because it was the first, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. one. So that's one that is special for us, but isn't like a huge feast day. For, it's not sure, a holy sure, day sure. of obligation or anything. <laughs> Although apparently it used to be um, oh. a few hundred years ago. It was a holy day of obligation. Um, another one that we really like, it's as we're recording, it's tomorrow, okay. um, February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation was called Candlemas and 
because the candles that were going to be used in the home for prayer were blessed that day. Um, I think it's also a continuation of the, like the end of Epiphany, right, where right. Christ is the light of the world, um, and the where Simeon talks yeah. about the presentation. Um, so I think that that's all connected there. So usually what we do is we make candles, like we'll get beeswax and oh, awesome. and dip candles or go the easy way. You just roll roll <laughs> up the, the sheet of beeswax. <laughs> that's what we do with little toddlers that we don't want anywhere near the wax. So that's um, one, one thing we like to do um, for Our Lady of Guadalupe. We usually do okay. carnitas. Oh, nice, um, nice. Which is... Yummy. Kids, yeah, I'm a Texas like boy. I'm yeah. very excited about that idea. That sounds. <laughs> I'm trying to think of which other two would be my favorite. Um, a couple of saints that are special to us. St. Nicholas oh, yeah. is a great saint. So that happens. His feast is December 6th, which is during Advent. And we actually give our Christmas gifts to our kids that day so that it's kind of a fun thing during Advent and then Christmas Day isn't as much about presents and we kind of focus on focus on Jesus and yeah. other things. Um, I don't know why you do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we do our gifts for the kids that day and tell them stories about St. Nicholas's generosity. Right, right. There's lots of legends about him giving everything he had to the poor and caring for poor families. So talking about gifts that way. Um, trying to think of one last one, trying to narrow it down. I think maybe I think Mardi Gras one okay. of my favorites. My husband's from New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. So um Mardi Gras the day before Ash Wednesday, last last day for a hurrah before <laughs> before it <Lent laughs> starts. Um and we usually do like Cajun food and a king cake. Nice, and, nice. And all of that. So those are some of our favorites. Okay. Yeah. I mean I um I think it's fun to hear kind of the different mm -hmm. traditions and the way in which you can um, uh, bring other families into that, too. And I, I was wondering, uh, you know, when we talk about um, and it's, it's interesting to me that as a as a recent convert, you're really taken to this idea of the liturgical year and celebrating uh, kind of this uh, liturgical living, so to speak. Um, do, do you think I mean, how can liturgical living play a role in evangelization? Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you see that? Because, I mean, part of what we're talking about is John Paul II says uh, that uh, families are supposed to be the object and the agent of the new evangelization, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the those who we're evangelizing and those who we send out. And so how is, how is liturgical living a part of that evangelization effort? Yeah, I think there's two parts to that. One is that it is a catechesis for the family, for the domestic church. Yeah. But I mean, as a convert, the Christian year has catechized me in many ways. Like I've learned yeah. so much about the saints and the faith through the seasons and feast days of the Christian year. And I think that children at first, you know, they're going to have kind of a shallow understanding of the Christian sure. year and what those things mean. But every year they're building on that foundation and it's just, I think such a natural and beautiful way to pass on the faith to yeah. our children. Um, and then the other piece of that is hospitality then lends itself beautifully to evangelization. Yeah. That if you are celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and you happen to have friends over, it's like, oh yeah, we always have a roast chicken because it's a Feast of St. Michael. And yeah. it, it, you're 
letting them enter in and have a window into a Catholic family life in a way that's not um, pushy or feels disingenuous. It's just, yeah. this is, this is what we do. This is um, how our family life works yeah. and how it's oriented. And we'd love for you to come over and feast with us and enjoy yeah. this with us. And I think that that's something that is very attractive yeah. to, to a culture that is often unmoored yeah. and has lost touch with traditions. I think that we really long for it. Even like something as, I know it's controversial with Catholics, but say Harry Potter, like my generation of millennials grew up with Harry Potter right. <laughs> and love it. And I think part of it is being part of this kind of the culture of Hogwarts yeah. where there's this different, you know, we, they, we always have this feast, the, the beginning of the year feast and the Halloween feast. And, the, and there's something about it that is attractive to a culture that has lost most of its yeah. traditions of significance. Um, and so something as silly as Harry Potter, I think, points us towards a longing that our culture has for rich traditions to yeah. be shared. Yeah, that's great. No, and I, one thing I, when you're talking about inviting families in, right, you, you mentioned uh, in your talk earlier, particularly about kind of making space in your home. Could you share mm -hmm. a, a little bit more uh, about that with me? Yeah. So one of the things I, I talked about earlier was having a family altar, having some kind of sacred space, which... Um, doesn't have to be anything extravagant or fancy. It can just be um, a shelf on a wall or a the top of a bookshelf, or you know, it can be very simple. Right. But just a space where you could have candles lit and have a crucifix and have your icons or sacred art, a spot to put your rosaries, and you're walking by it all day. You know, it's part of your home and it's reminding you in a sensory way of. Um, of a call to prayer or inspiration of the saints of whose icons are there yeah. and just a space for prayer. Um, and so, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but I think it is important for us as sensory human beings. It's great for kids who are sensory, but also it's great. It's great for me to, yeah. <laughs> to walk by every day as I'm walking between rooms and see, see the family altar. Nice. And I guess, uh, the I think the the question for me with all of this is sometimes with liturgical living, particularly the way in which we're talking about it, is uh, if we're a parish, we, we always want a program, right? It's like, well, but give me what's the program? Like, what's the program that's gonna uh, really help families? And uh, and so. I guess there's no program. I mean, there's a liturgical year, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a program. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, how, like, what advice would you give or what suggestions would you give as, as someone who's trying to live out the liturgical year? Uh, what would be your desire from mm -hmm. your parish community? Sure. Like, what would help you to live the liturgical year better? Mm -hmm. I think it is helpful when the priest mentions like even it doesn't have to be the whole homily but like oh here's just a real quick snippet of what this day means which i think is something a lot of priests sure. do naturally but say it's the feast of the presentation and just to say like yeah traditionally 
we bless candles this day. If you need me to bless candles after mass, let me know. I'll be here to bless your candles. You can always, or to let them know the week before you can yeah. bring candles next week. Um, so to just have support from the priest. I think that it's really good to kind of get the ball rolling to empower lay people to take the lead yeah, on this and yeah. just naturally invite friends over. But I think that um, something I've seen some parishes do that I think is really effective is during Lent after, say, after Friday, you have Stations of the Cross, then to have a simple soup dinner. You know, everybody might bring a crock It's very on Texas. They like a giant fish fry. <laughs> right. so your sure. husband write a giant a crawfish feast on a Friday. Which sounds delicious. Yeah, yes, sounds it sounds delicious, delicious but um, not liturgical. Maybe. Well, it's, it's fish, <laughs> so it's, it's letter of the law. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, but something like that that is just a very natural way to bring families together to get to know each other. Um, I think the goal is that lay people are um, building up community and inviting each other over and inviting people outside of the parish over. Um, I think the question is, how do we get that ball rolling? How do we get it started? Um, I think reminding lay people that they can do that is helpful. Yeah. But something like having Lenten dinners is a great way to connect people and kind of get people turned towards the seasons of the Christian year that, hey, like we're observing this together. Yeah. Um, I think there, you know, that feeling when you've gone to Ash Wednesday service, you've got the the ashes on your forehead and you see somebody you don't know, but they've got ashes too. And you, you're both like, hey, hey, you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're doing this together. Um, this is just a great feeling of camaraderie. Like we're, the goal is holiness and we're all in this together. And when we get to do these traditions and walk through these seasons together, there's this like, I don't know, like urging each other on towards holiness where it's like, we're doing it and the saints are cheering for us in heaven. And people have been doing this throughout the history of the church. Sure. And it makes it really exciting. But I think, getting the ball rolling so that lay people take this on yeah. is the goal and not um, being so hung up about programming yeah, that yeah. we forget their the real goal, which I, I understand. Like, it's so easy to want to be like, oh, let's just in, get a program in. But I, I was seeing a friend on Twitter was saying that a bunch of kind of young families had just organically created a, a, a friend group where they were getting together and celebrating the Christian year together. And the parish said, we, we want you to stop because I think it's interfering with the programming well, that's not th- that we have. You know, we, we would prefer that instead everybody did our, our programming. And it's just kind of, you know, missing the forest for the trees yeah, or yeah, what, yeah. whatever the Whatever the, whatever phrase, the phrase is. is but that's yeah, what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's tough. I think sometimes that we uh, we lose sight of what that, well, but what's the ultimate goal? Mm-hmm. What's, you know, what are we after? And that's heaven. So, mm-hmm. um well, I guess uh, in terms of a couple of practical things, uh, what are a couple of good resources, right? So if you're, whether you're a, a parent that's that's hearing this and hearing about liturgical living, uh, or if you're uh, a DRE or someone who works at a parish and you want to kind of pick out a few uh, liturgical feasts, like mm-hmm. what, what are some good resources that you would recommend? Um I prefer books to websites just because sure. websites can be overwhelming because it then becomes a rabbit hole of all the different ways you could do a, a certain thing and then yeah, you feel yeah. paralyzed. So a couple of great books. Um, 
One is Kendra Tierney's The Catholic All Year Compendium, which is it's just a huge reference for kind of introduces different seasons and feast days and saints days um, and gives some practical ideas for how a normal family, a normal modern family could Could observe that. Um, And it's very extensive. So. I could not do all of the things in that in that book. I think most families couldn't, but you can definitely pick out some yeah. some great things. It's a great resource. Um, a book I that is just coming out and that I just picked up that's specifically about Lent and Easter, and I'm going to not remember the title, but it's by Father William Saunders, okay. and it's just coming out. I think it's called like a Holy Lent and Easter or something okay. to that effect. And I just started reading it, which is. Just really great okay. for we'll um, find it. We'll put it in those. the notes. Yeah, we'll that would be notes. great. Yeah, so yeah. those are a couple of good ones. Um, but I think also Kendra Tierney's Catholic All Year Compendium will also point you to other resources yeah. about specific things. Now you you and your husband wrote a book. Too, we did. Right? We you wrote didn't a want book. No self promotion here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like Kendra's is so much more extensive than ours. But if you want just more of a bare bones well, introduction, like the, I mean, is she like? I, it's my sense she's like the Martha Stewart though. She of is. She's a living. good friend of mine, and we're very different. <laughs> so I'm always like, I am amazed by your. We are mere mortals before you, Kendra. Um, so my husband and I wrote an kind of introduction to the liturgical year and with recipes and um, some reflections on the different seasons. And it's called Feast. And it's on Amazon and also on my website. So you can you can grab it there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, um, and I guess uh, as we're as we're kind of closing out, I, I, are there any um, kind of just uh, I know I asked you a couple of feasts that you you kind of like or special within your family. Uh, would you recommend like uh, three starting points if someone yeah. wants to kind of uh, start trying to live more liturgically or trying to incorporate it into the life mm-hmm. of the parish? Are there maybe three things that you'd recommend? to Sure. Them? Um, one thing that I think is great to do is for each member of the family to either choose like the saint that's their namesake, their um, name saint, or the saint they have a devotion to, and um, put that on the calendar and celebrate each of those days. And it doesn't have to be anything extravagant, yeah. but just even we're just having ice cream for dinner because it's so and so's feast day, nice. um, or it can be something that oh, we're having, it's a Mexican saint and we're going to have tacos or it's an Italian saint and we're going to have pizza. You know, it can be, it can be simple. Um, So I think that's one good thing to do and kind of putting those on the calendar helps you not feel like I've got to celebrate every saint that's on the calendar, which you just can't do. It would be impossible. So I think that's a good start. Um, I think the seasons of Advent and Lent, because they're so countercultural. Yeah. I think it really helps to we know how to celebrate Christmas, but it's hard for us to slow down for Advent. So just trying to slow down and doing a simple tradition like having an Advent wreath with Advent candles that you're lighting as a family during that season is great. And then um really trying to work together as a family to celebrate, to observe Lent. Um usually my family will try to pick like Okay, we're gonna we're gonna pray Stations of the Cross every night. That'll right. be our prayer, and then we're gonna give up Netflix or you know whatever it is yeah. that we choose together. Um, and then we do something where we make what's called blessing bags. It's like bags that have 
toothpaste and oh, soap yeah. and, and just different, not, you know, granola bars. Um, so we have a bunch of the bags in the car. So if we see someone in need, we've got it all ready to go and can just offer it to them. Um, so that's usually one of our Linton, Linton traditions. Um, so just something like that, sitting together as a family and saying, how can we, how can we do this together yeah. and bounce around ideas? I think it's really helpful when the kids are offering, oh, could we do this? Or what if we gave this up? So they yeah. feel like participants yeah, yeah. In, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Well, I, these are a lot of great ideas that you've given to us today. Uh, I really just appreciate the, the time. I mean, I, you, you had a whole <laughs> retreat that you gave today and then you're spending time with this this evening to talk a little bit more. So appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Minivans to Mass is hosted by Edward Herrera. To listen to more episodes and share your ideas about getting more minivans to Mass, visit www.archbalt.org forward slash minivans. Special thanks to Jay Lampart for the editing help, Jack Raybold for the animation in our video, and Catherine Amon for the artwork. This has been a production of the Archdiocese of Baltimore.